For more than a decade, my friend Sarah Talolay covered the business of sports for the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. Now she's a Foreign Service Officer with the State Department at the U.S. Embassy in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. What? Yes, you heard me correctly. This is Sarah's fourth embassy posting after India, Lithuania, and Malaysia. But Sarah's previous job has come in handy. The State Department has a very active sports diplomacy objective. Hello, Sarah. Hi, hi, uh, let's see. Highly catch. Is that right? (laughs) Is that good evening? (laughs) (laughs) I tried to learn Uzbek. I would just say, I would just say, assalamu alaikum, probably. Assalamu alaikum. Okay. Okay. Yes. It's wonderful to see you, Leslie. This is such a treat for me. Thanks for joining me. Your career is just spectacularly interesting. But, um, you know, we all remember sports diplomacy, ping pong diplomacy from uh, President Nixon in the early 70s to ease tensions with China. But what is the goal today for sports diplomacy? That's such a great question, Leslie. And I don't think the goal has changed since the early 70s. I think it's always uh, been our soft power. Um, Sports diplomacy is a way for us to connect with people from all over the world. It is a really easy way to connect and to show our similarities, actually, rather than our differences. I mean, not every country plays every sport and you know, Americans don't play every sport either, but it is a really simple way for us to connect. And um, we have an incredible brand. Say what you will about the United States and the difficulties that we have and how divided we are. Um, I'm not going to talk about politics, but you can say how divided we are. And yet we still have a really great brand and a great product to share with the world. You know, and because of the circumstances that bring, as you know, Sarah, everybody comes through sports. And I remember that I actually got to meet Nelson Mandela at uh, a a Dallas Cowboys for five seconds. Right. Nothing. But he did have that aura. You did feel him. And remember, he was the one who said sport has the power to change the world. And I absolutely believe that. And what an amazing thing for you, Leslie. You've met everybody important. It's incredible. (laughs) No, I haven't. You know, I remember you telling me once that your experience when you were in Lithuania, you know, we think of the NBA as like Sabonis and Ilgauskas, but you actually, didn't you somehow combine the NBA and the NFL? I I did in a way, sort of, yes. (laughs) How was that? Um, Lithuania is um, an amazing, uh, an amazing little country in um, Eastern Europe that looks to the West, um, you know, even though it, it also used to be part of the Soviet Union, looks very much to the West. And basketball is really second religion in Lithuania. Um, I think we talked the other day about how, um, you know, the Lithuanian team in the 1992 Olympics was this great upstart team and, and um, got the support of the Grateful Dead, and they had they wore those tie dye T shirts, and it was it was a great story. Um, but I, I had a chance to meet Sharunas Marshallonas, who owns a sports bar in in uh, in Vilnius, the the capital of Lithuania, and we um, used his sports bar as an opportunity to 
have a, a NBA watching party um, and we brought people together and um, it was a way for Lithuanians and Americans to connect. But our more successful opportunity was Sharunas was happy to host an NFL game watching party. And it turns out there's this diehard group of Lithuania is very small, but there's this diehard group of NFL fans who watch <laughs> games together every every weekend and um we we managed to get them to come out and watch a game with us and we used it as an opportunity to have uh there were a couple americans there who who you know coached a little bit of football and they showed people how to throw a football and and then we watched the game together and it was awesome well nba really is you know the sport from America that has had the most success globally. And it is amazing that Jokic was the um, MB, the MVP for the second year in a row. So the NBA, I would imagine in most of the postings where you've been, has the NBA been a popular sport? Absolutely. I mean, and I think, I mean, you know this, the NBA has done a, a really incredible job of sharing its brand around the world. I mean, you know, from China to, I mean, just across the, across the world and like no other league, um, I would say there's just something about basketball that, you know, again, people in China play basketball, people in India play basketball. So, um, the enthusiasm for the sport, because it's been so, uh, well-marketed is so huge. And, um, I think I mentioned, you know, in, in Malaysia, we, um, we were able to bring out J.R. Reed and Kathy Pondexter and we did clinics and we took them on the road with us and they, um, met with sports federation people. And they even came to one of our, one of the biggest things we do in, um, in the state department is we celebrate July 4th. Uh, that's the biggest representational event we do at every embassy and consulate um, in the world. And they came to one of our July 4th celebrations in Malaysia and they played, um, they played some sort of like, I can't even remember exactly what it was, but they did some, you know, demonstrations with, um, with folks at the, at the July 4 party. And it was just a huge, it was a huge success. People love it. They love rubbing elbows with athletes and they just love the opportunity to, to touch America in some, you know, even if it's a, in a small way. But tell me about Malaysia. You know, most of us, I, we think of those two towers, right. With Tom Cruise hanging off them and your, st the stunning coastline, but, but what is what was living there like? Fascinating. Malaysia, most people I think don't, or most Americans I think don't know much about Malaysia at all. Um, they don't know much about Uzbekistan either, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, it is this stunning uh, combination of very modern. Um, you mentioned the two, the, the Patronus Towers, um, the, the tallest twin towers in the world. Um, it just a sunny, every time I flew back from somewhere to Malaysia and saw the towers. It was just this like sort of the way I used to feel about, you know, the Empire State Building, just this, this stunning view that I would never get tired of. Um, but it's this stunning combination of very modern um, and also very rural. Um, if you look at a map, it's got two, uh, two parts uh, to it. Um, East Malaysia is very rural, um, has beaches and uh, rainforests and orangutans and it's one of only two places in the world that have orangutans you know is it a complicated country or it's it's um they have it together 
Very complicated, very complicated. So it's majority Muslim, uh, but it has this mix of um, three main cultures, a whole bunch of other cultures as well, but three main cultures. Um, there are the Malay Muslim, then there are the um, Chinese Malaysian, and then who are um, Buddhist and Christian. And then there are um, the Indian Malaysian who mostly hail from South India, um, but many, many have been there for generations and generations. Some have never been to India. So people look very different. Um, they're interact. They talk about being very harmonious, but um, like in many places, it's not quite as harmonious as it might sound. Uh, so very interesting politically and uh, culturally and and from a religious perspective as well. Um, but it 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 just made for very interesting work. Um, when we one of the things that I do is I oversee exchange programs. So we send young. Um, people from the host country to the United States for um, experience in high school, for uh, semesters of college, to do um, professional fellowships, to spend a month at a, working in a, you know, a, a U.S. business. And whenever we would send people on, on exchange programs, we would try to make sure we had a mix of people who, for our programs, who represented the country. Um, but it made things very complicated. What are the sports of Malaysia? Uh, Malaysia? They play badminton. Um, they like soccer, um, gymnastics. Um, there's even ice hockey, which I, I found kind of amazing because it's tropical and very warm there all year round. Um, but they 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 like basketball a lot. They like soccer. Uh, go back to Vilnius, didn't? Wasn't there some baseball league also maybe that you were involved in? Yeah, that was such an amazing thing. I arrived there and this book had just come out, just been published about something like 80 years of history of baseball in Lithuania. Like <laughs> who knew, right? I mean, how is that possible? Um, so I, of course, I had to do a little, little investigating and I used my very poor Lithuanian and got to meet the, the guy who wrote the book. and. The, the Baseball Federation um, guys, they were all guys. Um, and there was actually, um, blanking on his name, Neverowskis, who actually made it to the major leagues as a pitcher. Um, really? Gosh, I know. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty he great. He was with the Pirates. He was mm -hmm. with the Pirates for a couple of years, I but think. But did he Not go by the ago. name Willie Stargell when he was here? <laughs> oh, okay. no. he didn't try that no um but his dad um is a big uh trainer and coach in in uh, well not big nothing's big in lithuania um but baseball coach in in vilnius and he um had this like indoor complex that was amazing and somehow i discovered through reading this book and talking to different people that there had been this very popular these very popular lithuanian American pilots, um, they were popular in the 20s and 30s and in, in the US, but they were you know heroes to the Lithuanians. And one of them was credited with bringing baseball to Lithuania. And so he had this dream. He, he played all sorts of sports. He was just super popular. And he and um, 
they they're on the euro now, but when we were when we first got there, they still used the lite, which was their former currency. And there's they're on the um, ten lite note, the two pilots. There's pictures of them, so that they're kind of immortalized. So anyway, um, one of them had said that he wanted to you know talk about soft power. He wanted to um, have. American young people and Lithuanian young people play a baseball game together because he believed in the power of sport. Um, unfortunately, they uh, crashed in their plane and this his dream was never realized. But their names are all over the place in, in Lithuania. And there's a stadium, a little stadium where soccer is played that is named after the two of them. And um, I had this crazy idea and I called the sports diplomacy office in in uh, in Washington, in the State Department. And I said, I want to, you know, have I, there's this little community here. I want to have, you know, a player to come out and do clinics. And I want to, like, host this game at, at their stadium and like an exhibition game, obviously. And somehow they were able to convince um, Barry Larkin, the great. Barry Larkin to come out with uh, Joe Logan, who'd been a minor leaguer and they used to travel together and they, um, they came out for, you know, four or five days and we traveled the country with them and they did clinics um, with boys and girls. It was awesome. Um, One day it rained. So we went to the indoor um, practice facility with the, with Neverowskis's dad. Um, And then we went out to, we, we, we organized this game in the stadium. And I remember walking in thinking, oh my God, my dream is, my dream has been realized. We <laughs> served hot dogs, Cracker Jack, and we had a young Lithuanian um, team play. We, we cobbled together a bunch of Americans from the embassy, um, family members and, and officers, and, and uh, we played a game and it was awesome. You know, it's um, they're kind of like modern missionaries, uh, all these athletes you say going over and I have a great friend, Lee Miller, and she has a company that takes uh, college teams for seven to 10 days as envoys. Really, they get to experience whatever country. And and these are teams, you know, uh, Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Baylor, Gonzaga, uh, Kentucky. And what they do is they hold some clinics and then they get to play against teams from those countries. And I really do think it is a non threatening way to build relationships. Absolutely. And just think about, you know, young people in these other countries get to meet these people who are really popular in the United States. And, you know, this, these might be the first Americans they ever meet. Um, it might inspire them to decide, I want to go study in the United States. It, um, you know, we use it as a, as a way to improve language. They get a chance to speak with native English speakers. Um, it is extraordinary. And the, the, I love the idea of the college teams doing this. The, the sports diplomacy office also has, a number of um, envoys, like you mentioned, um, Barry Larkin is one of them. Michelle Kwan is one. Um, Cal Ripken is one. I tried to get Cal Ripken to come out to Malaysia, but the COVID happened. So we weren't able to, we weren't able to do that because in Malaysia, there's actually, there's a, I discovered there was a women's baseball team. And I think I mentioned that, that not softball, but baseball. And there are, you know, I said, majority Muslim country, there are these women in their hijabs playing baseball. It is extraordinary. I think a lot of us think of embassies as, you know, our passport gets stolen and we go to you, you're our 911 around the world. But like what else in Uzbekistan, what is going on in your embassy? 
That is such a great question, Leslie. Thank you for that question. I think we do a very bad job of sharing what it is that we actually do. Um, embassies and consulates exist. Or they, they, they opened an originally for precisely what you said. Uh, if you lose your passport overseas, if you get arrested overseas, if you get into some sort of trouble, you call the consulate or the or the embassy and and we're there to you know, we're there to support you. Uh, but we do so much more. Uh, we have a political section and an economic section that focus on the um, political situation in the country. We report back to, to Washington and explain what's happening politically. I mean, there it was very well known um, what the situation was on the ground in Ukraine um, before the war. And, you know, because of because the reporting of our uh, diplomats in in Ukraine and around Ukraine um, was so strong. Uh, the economic section works on um, developing business ties, um, you know, between um, the U.S. and the and the host country. Wendy's isn't Wendy's. <laughs> yes, Wendy's in for decades. Wendy's is here, and we're actually uh, we actually just this week um, they launched a. Um, it, it's the thirty. It's the thirtieth year of diplomatic relations between the U.S. and Uzbekistan. So we have these really. I have to send you a picture. We have these really cool cups with the U.S. and and Uzbekistan flag on them that that Wendy's is, is doing for a limited run. So that's kind of cool. Um, so anyway, the, yes, that we're we're promoting U.S. business. We're promoting investment. U.S. investment uh, overseas. Um, we have so many different things that we do. And then my job is in the public affairs section. We um, manage the, the media relationship. So if the media in the country wants to interview the ambassador, for example, or if we have people, you know, if the secretary of state, for example, is visiting, we arrange for the media to meet with um, with officials from from Washington. We also have we have our own social media platforms. We have you know, we're on Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram and at Telegram is really big here. So we we actually broadcast a lot of our um, our events and activities on on Telegram. And then my side of the house is the cultural affairs side. We oversee, uh, as I mentioned, exchange programs. We also do cultural and sports diplomacy. Um, exactly what we were just talking about with sports and then with cultural, we bring uh, U.S. Um, dancers and singers and we just have a jazz band here and they do the same kind of thing that the, the the sports the athletes do they go they perform they do master classes with young people they speak about you know how to make your art a business um and they really i mean this is really again about connecting about uh soft power our brand is our brand is pretty good, um, you know, around the world, um, not everywhere, but 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 it's pretty good in most places. And so um, that that dream of people wanting to come to America is is um, is still really strong. And it's pretty amazing and very powerful. Of course, in the United States, we're so concerned with the plight and the situation for Brittany Griner. Is there anything you could shed light on that from an embassy perspective? That's a great question. And um, it's one of those things that is really, really hard for us because I think that um, 
we're sad to see what happened. Um, and we're sad to know that there's only so much that we can do. Um, I, I do read the, the reporting that is um, unclassified. Um, and, you know, they're there. Obviously, we have incredible support for her, but I think there's only so much we can do. And given the situation uh, with the war in Ukraine, I think I think it's pretty complicated right now. But we are definitely, you know, supportive of her. Yeah. Do you think um, a friend of mine in the State Department said that it's a double-edged sword because um, being in the media, as you have been and I am, uh, that we want to make sure she's not forgotten. On the other hand, he told me that can really complicate if you are irritating um, people in Russia. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's my simple answer. Yes. Um, I mean, it is, it is complicated. Um, and depending on the country, uh, we make our decisions about the issues that we're going to promote and um, uh, talk about and push, um, depending on how much we think um, that issue is going to irritate the country. Um, for example, Uzbekistan is majority Muslim. Um, Malaysia majority Muslim, um, pushing on LGBTQI issues in these countries is not going to um, move the needle, as it were, um, in terms of foreign policy and, and in terms of making a big difference. Um, so Russia is a complicated, it's very complicated here in Uzbekistan because the country wants to remain um you know, wants to keep its friends, uh, especially in the neighborhood. And, um, you know, but the country also is pushing forward democratic reforms. And so it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that what that's probably all you can say uh, right now. I'm sure that <laughs> five years down the road, we'll we'll have a lot more to say about. It. But tell me this, as a majority Muslim country, uh, other countries I've been in, that really impacts young girls in terms of sports, I mean, do you see it evolving or do you think that there is no place for the U.S. to have an opinion there? It, that's a great question, Leslie. And I, I do think um, that we are seeing a difference, especially um, I mean, this country is, you know, 30 had had 30 years of independence. That's not very long. Um, it sounds like a long time, but it's actually not very long. It's just a generation, right? So um, I think you're going to see a lot more change uh, down the road. Um, and as young people with the whole, you know, 24-hour no news cycle and social media and the idea that people here can see so much of what's going on around the world, I think that you will see a lot a lot more um, change in terms of what is available to young girls and women. In Malaysia, I remember our ambassador going out to um, to schools and talking to uh, being inside schools and seeing the girls um, inside while the boys were playing soccer outside. And that our ambassador would say, well, why aren't you out there? And they were they would say, girls don't play soccer. Girls can't play soccer. Um, that obviously wasn't the case everywhere, but in certain very insular uh, conservative communities, it was. And it is here in Uzbekistan as well. Um, my, one of my staff members, uh, when she was in uh, when she was younger, she was 
the goalie on a water polo team and her, you know, and she, she grew up in a very conservative community, but she said, you know, it depended on the family and her family was very supportive of girls playing sports. And so she played sports. There's pretty successful, um, uh, girls basketball here, girls soccer here. Um, so it, again, it really depends on the, the community. We have a number of Fulbright English teaching assistants. We call them ETAs for short. They are young, you know, fairly recent U.S. college graduates who come overseas to different countries to assist English teachers in high school and college. Um, and they, they, they not only serve as a native speaker for these young people um, in the country, but they also teach about American culture. And we have we have some really wonderful young women uh, among our ETA uh, core here. We have um, 15 at the moment all across the country. We have one in a very conservative community who started a basically a women's soccer club. And she has these young women, um, mostly not high school, but like, you know, young women who are. Um, who said, we never got a chance to play and we're so excited to play. And they too are, not all of them are in hijab, but some of them are in hijab and they just, it's its its this wonderfully supportive community. You know, boys and, and men are not there. They get to express themselves and, and enjoy the sport. Meanwhile, we have other ETAs who are doing um, Frisbee, um, Frisbee in their community. Um, one, of our young, one of our young women brought lacrosse equipment and she introduced lacrosse in southern Uzbekistan. And I just, I mean, I, how great is that? You know, the Indians introduced it to us. So, <laughs> do you know, do they it's awesome? Um, do they celebrate? I'm sure, you know, your age defying, I never get her name right, but I never can. Uh, Oksana Chusoviatina. Chuso, yeah, I'm not sure if Chuso I know. How to pronounce her I think name. it's Chusovai. <laughs> but she's been. She's been in what seven eight Olympics, something yeah, like seven, that. Yeah, seven eight Olympics. Yeah, yeah. And, she's amazing. And is she yeah, celebrated no, as an athlete? In Absolutely. even though she was the Soviet Union, that absolutely, absolutely. I think she, yeah, Soviet Union, but also Uzbekistan. She did. Um, right. It's not. We're not that far removed from from the Soviet era, and actually, that's one of the things that makes working here very interesting. Is um, people are still some people are still very stuck in that era. Um, and the education system is still very stuck in that era. So we're here to help bring them um, into a more modern, um, you know, era um, and help them reform the education system, help teach English, um, all of which, you know, provides opportunities for young people to study overseas, to get jobs overseas, to to get better jobs. Um, and it just it opens doors. Tell me that your your story there. That um, you're going along. I remember you reading you. I mean, you were a very highly regarded sports business journalist, and I remember you reading about who's going to pay for the Marlins Stadium. How did you get from there to here? That is such an incredible question, and <laughs> I, I do sometimes wonder how this happened. Um, I loved my job as as the sports business writer. I think I also told you I was wholly unqualified for the job. I, I had been a news reporter for 10 years and um, the Sun Sentinel was very forward thinking and actually had a sports business writer for 
I mean, I think was one of the first papers in the country to have a sports business writer. And I remember reading the stories thinking, wow, this is so fascinating. And I found myself like reading about stuff I'd never read about before, just because I just found it so interesting. I mean, I was reading about golf and I, 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 I will be the first to admit, I don't know anything about golf. And, and so anyway, um, and at the time when I took the job, um, or when I got the job, thank you, um, to the late, great Fred Turner for, for seeing something, recognizing something in me. Um, it, you know, the Marlins had just been sold to John Henry. Um, the, uh, Miami Heat's arena was um, being built. Um, I guess the the Panthers arena had just opened. Um, it was an extraordinary time to be there. We were still getting Super Bowls regularly. Um, it was it was just you know NASCAR came to Homestead. I mean, it was just an incredible time to be there. So um, I grew to really love it, and I I um, you know again I didn't really know a whole lot about it when I started, but Fred believed in me, um, and then. I watched as the business changed so dramatically and um, really, you know, I'm, I'm old school in that I love, I still love a newspaper and it, I watched four rounds of people get laid off at the paper. And I said, I, I need to find something else. And I wanted to stay in the business. I did look at, um, I looked at PR jobs. I looked at other writing jobs. And then I just, I took the foreign service exam on a whim, assuming that I wouldn't pass. Uh, I had a childhood friend whose husband had been in for many years, and she told me, you know, what happens and how you get this list of places all over the world, and you 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 know you rank the places for your job for your first job. And I thought this sounds kind of cool, you know. We like to travel, um, but I didn't really realize what it would actually mean. <laughs> I mean, I am not, um, you know, I wasn't one of these people who grew up, lots of people in the foreign service grow up wanting to be diplomats. Um, they study foreign relations. They study, you know, they go to Georgetown and study, they go to the foreign service school. That wasn't me at all. I just wanted to have a really interesting second career. I wanted something that was, you know, journalism is a lifestyle. I wanted something that was a lifestyle, um, you know, that I just, I wasn't, I didn't want to be bored. Um, and so I took the test and I passed and, you know, you go through a series of steps. It's not easy to get in. It took about two years to actually go from taking the test to, to, to getting an offer. Um, and then it happened and, you know, they, they have this thing called flag day where you, 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 you get trained because nobody knows how to like do visa interviews. Right. Um, and they have this thing called flag day where they announce everyone in the in your class, you have a training class and you get the flag from the place that you're going. And, um, I was one of the last people in my class called and my, my husband was sitting in the back of the room with my (laughs) sister and, um, they're waiting for me to be called and they're waiting. And we're like crossing the, like we have the list and Finally, they say, you know, for the position of counselor officer in Chennai, India, Sarah Talalay. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to India. (laughs) um, That is fantastic. It's like the lottery for the NBA players. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's like we talk about that, actually. It's kind of like signing day. You know, it's like, which hat are you going to get? You know, so I or which hat are you going to put on? Right. Um, But I remember thinking. I joined the foreign service to have an exotic experience and you don't get much more exotic than India. Although Uzbekistan's pretty yeah. exotic. <laughs> did, um, did they vet you to see if you ever stole a candy bar when you were eight years old? No, 
Yes. Yes. And they ask you everything. I mean, they, they want to know, you know, um, have you ever, you know, have you had bankruptcies? Have you had financial difficulties? Have you, do you have a criminal record? Have you done drugs? Have you, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, and most people, well, I, I can't say most people, I mean, most people are normal, so they have something. Um, so it's, you know, but it's, a, it's pretty rigorous. Um, and it's a wonderful combination of people. It is people right out of school. Um, but it's also, you know, right out of grad school, whatever, but it's also people like me, there's a number of former journalists, um, among the group. There are musicians, there are doctors, there are lawyers, there are finance people, all people who, you know, said, Hey, I, I might want to serve my country overseas, um, or I'm doing this investment stuff and I'm, it's just not that it's just not doing it for me. Tell me something you ate at each posting that was unlike what most of us would encounter. Um, I'm trying to think what I ate in, uh, oh, okay. In, in India. Um, and you can get these in America. I mean, there's Indian, Indians are everywhere in the world. Everywhere. I mean, you know, there's more than a billion of them, so they're everywhere in the world. Um, but my favorite S South Indian food is very different from Northern Indian. The kind of Indian food we eat in the U.S., you know, um, I don't know, uh, Vindaloo and exactly. masala and, yeah, and all those things. South India is very different, much spicier. And we eat uh, things called dosas. Um, I don't know if you know what a dosa is, but it's kind of like a kind of like a spicy pancake that's rolled up and it has um, spicy potatoes and different things inside. And sometimes you just eat it with um, different sambal, spicy, spicy coconut, spicy things, um, spicy sauces. Um, and that's delicious. Um, Lithuania. Um, well, two things about Lithuania. Okay. Um, their national dish is not eaten that much anymore. Um, it is a um, zeppelini because it looks like a zeppelin. It's like a it's like a mashed potato thing that's uh, boiled and then you eat it with crackling sauce and it's it's very heavy and dense. I think we had it maybe once. Um, it's not it's not my favorite thing, but something that I think needs to come to America and would be a huge hit at stadiums and sports bars is something called keptaduana. And keptaduana is a fried, it's like fried dark bread that's sort of cut into like, sort of like French fries, but like bigger. Um, and you dip it in this cheesy garlic sauce. And it is, oh my God, to die for. I mean, it would be such a hit at sports bars. Business idea, people. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then Malaysia, oh, um, the national dish is something called nasi lemak, which literally means fatty rice. And it's rice that's cooked in coconut milk. Um, and it it's served with um, a piece of chicken, a hard boiled egg, dried anchovies and cucumbers. And it is eaten for breakfast, lunch and dinner like every day. Um, and it's delicious. Um, my favorite thing was something called char kway tiao, which is this like stir fry um, bean sprouts and, and shrimp and all kinds of it's fabulous. I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's more Malaysian Chinese dish. Um, spicy, really spicy. And then here, Uzbekistan. Besides Wendy's. <laughs> 
Yes. Fast food is fast food is big, although we only have Wendy's. No, we have Kentucky Fried Chicken. Kentucky Fried Chicken, I think, is everywhere in the world. Everywhere. Um, the the national dish here is something called plov. Plov, um, if you translate into English, is, is like pilaf. It is a rice dish with meat and uh, and vegetables, but mostly meat. Um, sort of like a pilaf paella kind of thing. Um, lots of meat here. Um, it's very heavy. Um, it can be really delicious, but it's very heavy and they eat it every single day. Tell me what skills you thought in reporting the business of sports have translated into your job now? It's interesting. I know a lot of reporters uh, and journalists uh, would say, I can't do anything else. Like this is all I was ever meant to do. It's my calling. I can't do anything else. Like I'm not marketable. Let me tell you, you are so marketable. If you can write, first of all, if you can write, you can do a lot of things, but if you can write, if you can communicate with people, this is all about diplomacy is about communicating. Uh, you know, that's what it is. So um, interestingly, when you take the foreign service exam, one of the things that comes up routinely is how you deal with conflict. And I couldn't understand, like I, I, I had a hard time answering the questions because yes, you know, our sources get mad at us, you know, our people we deal with on a regular basis get mad at us. I mean, we could have a whole show on who's yelled at me and I'm sure who's, well, I'm sure no one's now yelled at you, but um, <laughs> um, we could have a whole show on that. Um, but I didn't have, con I mean, my whole job was to get along with people. So they would tell me things, right? So I had a lot of trouble kind of um, explaining, you know, what kinds of conflict and how I manage conflict. But what you find is that you're in, you know, you're in an embassy with uh, people who are all kind of thrown together. And so there can be conflict. I mean, there's people with big egos and there's, you know, very, very smart people. I mean, it's extraordinary. Um, I have incredible colleagues, um, but there's a lot of, you know, different opinions and things going on. So there's, there can be conflict inside. Um, but the idea is that you would be able to, you know, present diplomatic on the outside and get to know people. Um, you know, I, I develop contacts just like I would, uh, you know, as a reporter. Um, I don't write as much as I would like to. Um, we do have a little bit of a sort of State Department language um, that doesn't, you know, journalism doesn't quite fit into, but I still push the way I write because, you know, as long as you can write clearly and, you know, um, concisely, that is incredibly valuable. It's also valuable in, we read a lot, you know, we have a lot of, um, cables that come in the reporting cables that explain what's going on. Um, a lot of, um, taskings, tasking assignments from Washington. So to be able to read quickly and synthesize quickly, all of those things are incredible skills. What would be now either something in the sports realm that you are working on, or what would be your dream project? Wow. Um, I haven't really thought about it that way. I mean, I would love to do sports. To, I would love to bring sports envoys wherever, like to every, I mean, just bringing Americans overseas to, you know, do classes, do clinics, talk, um, talk about leadership, talk about the importance of learning English, whatever. Um, that is incredibly valuable. I mean, it really, it, it just, it changes these, it changes people's lives. So I would like to do that everywhere. Here we are doing, I think I mentioned, we are doing um, 
because it's a majority Muslim country and domestic violence is an issue here, we launched a self-defense program for women and girls that has a mental health component. It was actually started by alumni of our USG exchange program. Somebody who went to the US came back here and came up with this idea. And so um, it's incredibly popular. These We've had thousands of people apply for this program. So we're just about to start the, I think the third iteration and we can't get everywhere in the country. So one of the things that we're doing is we've chosen 14 uh, women self-defense trainers, coaches uh, from the country to send them to the United States to um, you know, learn more skills about training and coaching so that they can come back here and spread the program around the country. But would you so, say that before when you referred to that many Muslim families don't allow their daughters to um, play sports, well, self-defense is active, it's physical. And uh, is there any translation you can make there to encouragement? I think that, I mean, I think it's not for everyone. I think not every family will allow it, but I think also that um, this country is very young. The more than, what, what is it? Almost half of the country is under the age of 25. Um, so attitudes are changing. Um, people are seeing that young women can do anything. Um, and so they are wanting them to have opportunity. They're wanting them not to be in situations, domestic violence, violence situations, or at least know how to protect themselves. Um, so, you know, I think there's support for women st uh, studying overseas. Uh, so I think all of these things are useful skills. Uh, and, you know, the mental health component means that they're learning about um, how to get help, which is also something that, you know, is still fairly new here. Well, I'm going to come over there and talk about how uh, it was something like 90% of the female CEOs in this country have either uh, mostly played at the college level. Meg Whitman played lacrosse at Princeton. The woman who's the head of Land Lakes played basketball at Baylor. Sports, is, sports gives you everything. So um, we're going to talk more about that. But right now, <laughs> I want to thank you, uh, Sarah, for joining me. And please come back soon to South Florida for, for some stone crabs. I would love to, Leslie. And this was such a treat for me. Again, I am so honored and can't believe that I am up, you know, in your your cadre of like amazing, amazing athletes and amazing people. And I just it's it's I'm, I'm thrilled and flattered. So thank you. And that was my conversation with Sarah Talloway. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today on Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you stream your podcast to enjoy new episodes every week. In Conversation with Leslie Visser is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network and is available on the SXM app included with most subscriptions. The executive producer is the great Andrew Emmer, sound design by Robert Moore, and special thanks to Sirius XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Talk to you next week. Sirius XM Podcasts.